You're listening to a podcast of the Sunday morning message from Grace Christian Church in the city of Cork on the beautiful south coast of Ireland. We hope and pray that it will be a blessing to you. Shh. Can you hear me? Yes. I like to keep it nice and quiet here in Grace, as you know. We like, you know, to kind of observe some solemn moments as we begin our day. Good morning, everyone. Would you give us a smile? Go on, go on, show us those lovely white teeth. It's good to see you all again this morning. Welcome in. Will you turn to the person next to you and say, welcome to Grace Church this morning. Go on, tell them they're welcome. No. I see that husbands and wives don't say welcome to Grace Church this morning. You're all very kind of, "Mm." well, I welcomed you already this morning. The Sunday before last, I was talking about the life experience from Job chapter 1 of poor Old Job, he's a character in the Old Testament, who was severely tested in his life. And so many people loved it so much and thought it was so much fun, I said I'd have to do it again. So we're going to preach exactly the same message again this morning. Okay with that? I'm only kidding, I'm not going to do that, I'm not going to do that. But what I want to do this morning is I want to revisit the story because the truth, the book of Job is a masterpiece of literature. The Bible itself is a masterpiece, but the book of Job in and of itself is such a masterpiece of literature, of biblical literature. This fantastic story written there early in the Old Testament, written probably one of the earliest books of the Old Testament written. It's taught that Job was a contemporary of Abraham. He probably even came from the similar area as Abraham came from. We're going to be looking at it this morning. I want to look at, if you will, the message this morning, let me just switch on my thing. The message this morning is titled, The Accused. And I'm subtitling it, The Unseen Story of Job. Because we looked at Job chapter 1, and we looked at all that happened to him, and how he began life, and he was wealthy, and he was happy, and he was righteous, and rich, and everything was going well for him. And then everything was stripped away from him. He lost all of his property. He lost his children. Everything was stripped away from him. And Job was brokenhearted, and rightly so. But what we don't see is, what I didn't look at, was the unseen part of that story. And I think that's important that we look at the unseen part of the story. Because the unseen part of the story is something that affects you and me every single day. Though Job's experience specifically may not be your experience, what Job Job went through, the unseen part of Job's experience is part of your experience. And we'll look at it a little bit more. I'm going to look at several... um, Verses. I think there's about nine verses in the story, and they're taken from uh, Job's, uh, the book of Job. We're going to be looking at Job chapter one, and then a tiny piece from Job chapter two. I'm going to read them. I'm going to put them up on screen. If you're in Cafe Church, good morning. Uh, the guys might throw the scriptures up on the screen there for you in a second. It's in Job chapter one, and then we'll do the piece from Job uh, chapter two. And it'll give you some of the background, if you will, the hidden part of the story. The reason I'm talking about the hidden part is when you read it, you go, sure, there's nothing hidden about that. It's not hidden to you but it was hidden to Job. Job didn't see this part of the story, and it's very important. Job chapter 1, may God bless the reading of his word today. Would anyone say amen? Job chapter 1. One day, the members of the heavenly court, or the angels, came to present themselves before the Lord, and the accuser, Satan, came with them. Where have you come from, the Lord asked Satan. Satan answered the Lord, I have been patrolling the earth, watching everything that's going on. And then the Lord asked Satan, 
Have you noticed my servant Job? He's the finest man in all the earth. He is blameless, a man of complete integrity. He fears God and he stays away from evil. But Satan replied to the Lord, Ah, yes, but Job has good reason to fear God. You have always put a wall of protection around him and his home and his property. You have made him prosper in everything he does. Look how rich he is. But reach out and take away everything he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. All right, you may test him, the Lord said to Satan. Do whatever you want with everything he possesses, but don't harm him physically. And so Satan left the Lord's presence. You know, when we look at this, we, we come across a character called Satan. Now, some people say, ah, sure, there's no such thing as the devil. If you look into the world today, look through any newspaper, you watch any news channel, I can assure you there's plenty of evidence for Satan in the world. There's plenty of evidence for evil in the world. There probably is, in some senses, as much evidence for evil as there is for good when you look at the world. But I don't want to get into the existential question of Satan, but what I want to get into is this. It's very strange. I think that in all of our lives, we suffer accusations at times. And they think when we go back and we read the story of, of uh, Job, and we read the story of what happened here, it says that the accuser, Satan, came before the Lord. You see, the minute you go from someone being an accuser, the minute you put the word the in front of something, it gains power all of a sudden. When we start talking about an accuser, it's one thing. But when we talk about the accuser, it's another matter. Husbands will understand there's a big difference between a wife and the wife. There's a big difference of power and authority when you talk about the wife. You know what I'm saying? I'm afraid it doesn't work the other way, but what can I do? But all of us have accusers in our lives. And we want to look this morning, I want to look this morning specifically at the accuser, the one who accuses you, the one who comes into your life and whispers in your ear and speaks through the people around you and speaks very often in your circumstances and wants to accuse you before God, accuse you in your mind, accuse you in your thinking, accuse you in the internal narrative that goes on in your mind. And what I want to look at very specifically is that instead of listening to the internal narrative about our lives that goes on in our minds, I want to look at the biblical narrative of of what God says about our lives. Let's carry on the story. Job, as we all know, befell. All of this test befell, befell um, Job. And so Satan attacked him, took everything that he had belonged to him, and left Job utterly devastated. He said, naked I've come into the world, and naked I will depart. But he passed the first test because the epitaph of, of Job chapter 1 says this, In all of this, Job did not sin by accusing God of doing wrong. And then the bell rings, ding, ding, round two. Exactly the same situation plays out in heaven. The angels appear before God and Satan arrives with them. And again, the Lord says to Satan, Have you noticed my servant Job? Just for the record, thank you, Lord for bringing me to God, Satan's attention. Have you noticed my servant Tom? He serves God in all ways. He's righteous and he's above integrity. And Satan says, oh yeah, well let me test him and we see what he's made of. Thank you, Lord. I must say if it was me, I wouldn't be on my bended knees thanking God for bringing me to Satan's attention. But again, Satan says, ah yeah, 
Ah, yeah, Sir Job. Job's a great guy. He holds on to his integrity. And then Satan says this. Satan replied to the Lord, with skin for skin, a man will give up everything he has to save his life. But reach out and take away his health. And guess what he says? And surely he will curse you to your face. All right. Do as you please, the Lord said to Satan, but spare his life. And so Satan left the Lord's presence and he struck Job with terrible boils from head to foot. From head to foot. Job scraped his skin with a piece of broken pottery as he sat among the ashes in mourning. His wife said to him, are you still trying to maintain your integrity? Would you just curse God and die and get it over with? Would you please get it over with? You see, here is Job. He goes through all of this experience. He goes through Everything being taken from him. And now he's in another situation and his own body is affected by boils. It says from the top of his head to the soles of his feet, he's destroyed in boils. I mean, he's in sick. He's in pain. He's got all of this stuff going on in his life. And you go, what on earth is after happening to me? He doesn't see the unseen story. And sometimes in your life, you don't see the unseen story. I want us to wake up to the fact that there is an unseen story in our lives. But Job doesn't see any of this. And his wife comes along to him. And she's just such a lovely little darling of a wife. She says to him, are you still trying to keep your integrity? Would you ever just curse God and die? So when you look at the overall story of Job, you see three effects. If you look at the overall story, you can only surmise it. Satan wants to destroy Job. His friends want to fix Job. And his wife wants to get rid of Job. Blessed is Job in all the world. He's got so much against him in his life. So much. How many wives here want to get rid of their husbands? No, don't put your hand in the air. Not appropriate, not appropriate, okay? I can see hands kind of trying to control the hands from going up. Would you curse God and die? And Satan is going, yes! His Job's own wife is using Satan's narrative. Because here is the simplicity of, of Satan's approach. He says to God, Job doesn't love you. Job loves what you give him. That's what Job loves. Job's not interested in you. Job's only interested in all the animals and the, the jewels and the money and the children and the wife. That's all Job is interested in. But if you take them away from him, he'll curse you. And so God, the Lord says, okay, take it away. And he takes it away. And then Satan comes back and says, God, Job is not interested in you. He's no interest in you, God. He's only interested in you because... You give him his health because you're protecting him all the time. But take away the protection and he will curse you to your face. See, Satan has only ever had one plan. And that is to separate God from Job. That's the only, that's his, that's his plan. And that's his plan in your life. And that's what he will try to do in your life. Get in and separate. Challenge the faith at all costs. And it's a challenge to me. Because how often I get on my knees and I give thanks to all the, for all that God has done for me. And I do. And I think, but is, is that why I love the Lord? And even the psalmist says, I love you, Lord, because you heard my cry. That's why I love you. It's not an unreasonable thing to say, God has blessed me and therefore I love him. The Bible says that it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. So if you will, 
Satan is flagging up a false root here. He's flagging up something completely false. Because it's okay to love God for all that he's done for you. Is it only Richard would believe that? It's okay to love God and rejoice in all that he has done for you. Would anyone say amen? Can anybody say here that God has done wonderful things for me in my life? My love is up. Yeah, that's okay, guys. We love the Lord. It's his kindness that leads us to repentance. And now Job comes back and he says to his wife, he says, what a powerful thing to say. Job says, should we accept only good things from the hand of God and never anything bad? So in all of this, in all of this, Job said nothing wrong. Job said nothing wrong. The intention always of the enemy is to destroy faith. If you go into the New Testament and you look at, the, if you look at um, characters in the New Testament, nobody stands out more as being tested by the enemy in the New Testament than Simon Peter. Simon Peter was probably the most famous of all of Jesus' apostles. He was known as Peter, Simon Peter, or Simon, whichever you want to call him. But this guy is going around with Jesus, and he is going to be Jesus' minister for defense when Jesus takes over the government. He's going to be his minister for finance. He's not 100% sure, but he's going to get a big job when Jesus takes over. And Peter has a very high opinion of himself. I don't think that's such a bad thing, believe it or not. Certainly for the Irish, who always think they're completely useless. The Irish just have a kind of a low sense of self-esteem, beaten into us by colonial past. But I will no not start that rant. But anyway, people, but this guy Simon, he had no such issues. Simon definitely wasn't Irish. I think Simon might have been from another country. I won't identify the country, but let's just say Simon was full of himself. He was very confident. And he said, Lord, I'm willing to die for you. And Jesus said, I'm telling you, Simon, before you, before the cock crows tomorrow morning, you're going to deny me three times. But Jesus had given Simon warning. And I want to pay attention to the, to the warning that Jesus gave. He says to him, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift each of you like wheat. But I have pre pleaded with you in prayer for you, Simon, that you should not fail. So that when you have repented and turned to me again, strengthen your brothers. Strengthen your brothers. And I love, there's a couple of really interesting clues that go on in, for our lives that we really do need to pay attention to. We need to pay attention to in the words of Jesus here. First of all, let's pay attention to this fact. Jesus says to him, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift each of you. Satan has done what? He's demanded. Satan has insisted. Or has Satan asked to sift each of you as wheat? Get a notion out of your head that there's some kind of rogue patrol going around the universe in the name of Satan and he is more powerful and able to attack you and able to do whatever he likes to you. No, that's not true. That is not true. Satan, with respect, serves God's purposes. Just like every king and every emperor and every ruler that has ever ruled, they all serve God's purposes. He is the one who is in control. There was a great phrase used by a, a Bible teacher I heard recently, but I can't use it because it's too gritty. But uh, he basically said that, you know, Satan is on God's leash. That's the reality of it. Satan has asked, has asked to sift you as wheat. Just like Satan went before God and said about Job, oh, he's a great guy. And the Lord says, okay, you can sift him, you can challenge him. 
And he goes on to say, he says, but I've pleaded with you for you in prayer, Simon, that your faith should not fail. So when you have repented, notice the when, not the if. Not the if you come back, Simon. It's when you have come back, Simon. Jesus knew that the power of God was more powerful than the power of Satan. And that's true for your lives. The power of God is more powerful than the power of Satan. I remember one time listening to a radio station when I was in America years ago. And they used to have this phone-in thing. They'd, they would phone in and they would ask for prayer about things. And this guy rings up and he says, he, he rings up, a guy, some, the guy who was hosting the radio show was Bishop something or other. Bishop Townsend was his name. And he said, you're listening to the Bishop Townsend show. And he would take phone-in prayers. And this woman rang him and she says, Bishop Townsend? He says, how can I pray for you, sister? He says, she says, I've been praying to the Lord. Sorry, this was actually how it happened, so forgive me if I'm doing an accent. I've been praying to the Lord for a car. And I ain't getting that car because the devil keeps on stopping him. And even I, with very little biblical understanding, sat there going, hang on a minute. Satan doesn't stop God doing anything. Doesn't stop God doing anything. He might try and frustrate plans. And he said to me, he said, Sister, it was great. It was just funny. I, it was, I was in the deep South America. The guy said, Sister, I'm going to be praying for you, baby. He literally said, I'm going to be praying for you, baby. He said, What you need to do is you need to walk to your church. Or oh, the car was to get to the church. Said, you need to walk to your church. And every day you walk to that church, you need to pray and say, Lord, give me a car. Because Satan can't stop God from doing anything. And I'm sitting there in the car going, amen, amen. <laughs> Lads, it's true. He can't be stopped doing anything. God does exactly what God wants to do. Amen. Otherwise, how could he possibly fulfill the promises in our lives? How could he possibly fulfill the promises that he's made to us in our lives if he doesn't have the liberty, the power, the sovereignty, and the control to do all of those things? But God, he wants to sift you, Peter. Satan wants to sift you. He wants to put you in the sieve and he wants to shake you out and test you to see what you're made of, Peter. And do you know something? Satan wants to sift every single person inside in this room this morning. He wants to sift every single one of us to test us and to see what's inside us. What happens when you sift wheat? It's also called threshing. What happens? You separate what from the what? Tom knows the wheat from the chaff. You're separating the useless, which is the chaff, from the wheat, which is really, really, really important. That is the seed. That is the word of God, if you will, at work in your life. And Satan wants to separate that out. And he wants to put Peter through a sift. And he wants to shake him and shake him. And Peter's going to be shook and shook and shook. And sometimes our lives are going to be shook. And there's going to be shaking going on in life. He's going to be wondering what's going on. And all you can feel is the shaking going on in life. Say, I don't know what's going on. Even when I pray, I feel like I'm shaking. Because you're being shaken in your life. Because events are going against your situations. are not working out the way that you have them planned. But that's exactly... The enemy working busy at his sifting purposes. Peter knew what it was like to be sifted because anybody who knows, knows that Peter kind of failed the test. Because he went on to deny Jesus. Three times he denied Jesus, but Jesus had greater expectations. He said, Peter, I pray that your faith will not fail. So did Peter's faith fail when he, when he denied Jesus? It didn't fail completely. 
It couldn't possibly have. Because Jesus said, when you are restored, when you turn again, strengthen your brothers. Do you know something? If you're ever wondering what to do of a day, if you're ever thinking, what will I do today? I've got some time in my hands. Strengthen your brothers and sisters. When you come into church on Sunday morning, don't criticize someone. Build them up. Offer them a bit of encouragement. Strengthen your brothers. Remind them of how faithful God is in your life. Amen? Amen. Peter, who knew what it was like, gave a fabulous warning in his letter. He said this, he said, Stay alert. Watch out for your enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Stand firm and be strong in your faith. Watch out, he says. Stay alert, switch on. Don't be uh, and going through life like a zombie. Don't be doing that. Don't go through life like the undead. Go through life awake. Make your faith alive. Be, be switched on. Because he says your enemy prowls around like a roaring lion. And I just think, do you know what? When you think about when Peter wrote this letter, that statement was a little bit close to the bone. Remember that so many of the early Christians found themselves in the Colosseum being attacked by what? By lions. It was a very, very real illustration. He says, do you see the lions that are attacking your brothers and sisters in the Colosseum in Rome? The devil is just like those lions. He's looking to devour you. To devour you. To eat you up. What's he like? Well, what does the Bible say about Satan? He says a lot of things about Satan. He's described in many ways. He's described as a liar, as a thief, as a tempter, as a murderer, an afflictor, a deceiver, and an accuser. He will accuse you that you're not in right standing before God. He will accuse you that you're not doing your best. He will accuse you and tell you you're never going to make it. And do you know what? They're false accusations. Do you know there's nothing worse than being accused falsely? I'd love to put a show of hands, but I won't. You know what it feels like to be accused of something falsely? When you just haven't done something, but somehow something has been made up to say that you've acted in a certain way, that is horrible. It's just an awful, sick feeling in your gut when you're innocent, but you're still being accused. Your enemy, the devil, will accuse you of failing, of falling, that you're lost, that you're gone, that you're losing out. He will accuse you of not doing your best. He will accuse your conscience, accuse your mind. But Peter says, stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. And Paul says that God will not allow us to be attempted beyond what we can endure. So here's the truth. You don't have to give in to that temptation. You don't have to give in to that test. He will not allow you to be tested beyond your ability to endure. You see, it may not be the Satan showing up. You see, here's the thing. People have this idea that, you know, Satan, what does he look like? He's kind of like, first of all, he's kind of red, and he has two horns sticking out of his head, and he has a tail with a pointy thing at the end of it, and he has cloven hoof and a trident fork in his hand. So, of course, you'd recognize Satan. Look, here comes Satan into the room now. He's wearing the red fork. Hey, good morning, everybody. You'd recognize. That's not how it works. He is the most beautiful, charming man you could ever wish to meet. What a guy, Satan. But he's able to accuse. And sometimes you'll be accused by people you work with. Sometimes people in your family. Sometimes even the person that you love and you happen to be married to. Sometimes you will have an accusation come into your life 
out of nowhere. And your faith is challenged. And we can be brought so low by these accusations. Paul writes to the Romans. I quoted part of Romans chapter 8. And he said this. He said, who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one. For God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who dares bring a charge against you? No one, he says. Because those charges won't stand because it is God who has given us right standing with himself. So when the enemy accuses you in the middle of the night of being a loser, a failure, or a fall, or whatever it is he wants to accuse you, say, no, I stand in right standing with God. And God's court is the highest court. Do you know you see these challenges going on in the lower courts? And, you know, something doesn't work out in the lower courts. And say, I'm going to appeal to the next court. And you appeal to the next court. I'm going to appeal to the high court. And you appeal to the high court. And you say, I'm going to appeal to the supreme court. God's court is the supreme court of the universe. If God says you are innocent and you are free, guess what? You are innocent and you are free. That's what he says. He says, who's going to bring the charge? He says, and Paul is talking to Christians who are suffering persecution in Rome. He says, who's going to bring a charge against you, lads? Who's going to tell you that you're a failure, that you've fallen, or that you're not forgiven, or that you're not saved, or that you're not going to go to heaven, or that you're not one of God's people? Sorry, I'm a bit energetic this morning. He says this, who then will condemn us? Who's going to condemn us? No one will condemn us. For Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us. And he is sitting at the, right, at the place of honor at God's right hand pleading for us. How is it that we can't? There are three reasons. Let me give you three reasons. <laughs> there are three reasons. What are they? Who will condemn us? He said, no one. For Christ has died for us. Would anyone say amen? amen. He says that Christ was raised to life for us. Would anyone say amen? amen? He sits at the right hand of honor at God's right hand, pleading for who? For us. For us. Died for us. Raised for us. Pleading for us. Who's going to condemn us? No one is going to condemn us because of what God has done for us. He is our highest court. No matter who the accuser is, no matter where the finger points at you in your life, no matter where the finger comes out of, whatever, whatever skeleton and whatever closet that finger comes out of, no one can condemn you. Why? Because in the highest court, you have been called free and innocent. Forgiven. Hallelujah. I think that's good news. I think that's good news. And I think it's something we need to continually come back to. Who brings that charge? And here's the thing. God's court is the highest court. Peter writes again to the early Christians. Now remember what Peter, Peter's, ex sorry, I'm back at Peter. Peter's experience was that he had fallen, that he'd failed. And he said, watch, the watch for the devil, lads. I'm telling you, he's going to get inside your, your armor. You had better be careful. And then Paul writes this. And I'm going to go back to Peter because I want to finish on this scripture. Peter says this, through your faith, through your faith, God is protecting you by his power until you receive this salvation, which is ready to believe, ready to be revealed on the last day for all to see. Through what? Your faith. Aha! So the protection isn't there if you don't have faith. If you are not surrendered to Jesus Christ, there is no protection. If you are not, if your name isn't written in what the Bible calls the Lamb's Book of Life, 
there is no protection. He protects through faith. Peter writes, stand firm in your faith. Jesus says to Peter, I have prayed that your faith will not fail. James refers to Job in James chapter 5. Consider Job's faith, he said. He was a righteous man despite all that he was tested and went through. He stood his ground. I want to pray this morning as we finish. I want to pray that if you are the accused one this morning, or whether you, you may not be the accused one this morning, but you may be the accused one on another morning, on another day, the finger will be pointing at you. And it may be even pointing at you this morning. I simply want us to pray that we would first of all accept God's court in our lives. That God's judgment court is the real court in our lives. That when God says, you stand innocent, and forgiven, you can say, throw what you like at me, enemy, but I stand innocent and forgiven. Are you willing to pray that prayer this morning? And the second, I want to pray specifically for those who this morning are going through that accusation that you will be able to stand strong in God's power. It's that simple. It's just simple prayers, aren't they? Will we stand and pray? I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. I'm going to ask them. We're going to sing uh, just a verse from the song, or we're going to sing the chorus from, we sang it earlier, we trust in our God and through his, through his un, unfailing love, we will not be shaken. Is that a good declaration to make this morning? We say, why will we not be shaken? Because before the highest court of God, we stand innocent, forgiven this morning. Would anyone say amen? amen. Will we sing up guys? Let's do that thing. We're going to sing and when we sing the song, then we're going to pray just shortly after we sing that. Let's just close our eyes for a second as the guys are brewing up. Just close our eyes for a second. Just before we kick into the song. I'm going to just ask you. If you're here this morning and you say, I want to know that protection of God in my life. I want God to declare me innocent. I want to surrender to the power and protection of God this morning. And you haven't done this before. You want to pray this morning for the first time and say, Lord, I accept your claim, and I want to stand under your power and your protection. Lord, forgive me so that I am free of the accusation of the enemy. If you haven't prayed a prayer like that before and invited Jesus into your life, and you want to pray that this morning, can I invite you to lift your hand privately while there's no one looking? Lift your hands. I see them. I see those four hands. Let's pray briefly. Father in heaven, I thank you for those brothers and sisters who've raised their hands and said that they want to invite you in to their lives for the first time, Lord, who say they want to stand under God's protection this morning. Lord, I pray that you would, as it were, move into the neighborhood of their hearts, Lord. Move into the reality of their lives and into their minds, Lord. As they confess you, as they call to you this morning, I pray, Lord, they would be transformed, they would be saved, that their names would be written in the Lamb's Book of Life in Jesus' name mighty name of God's people said Amen. Let's sing All those against him will fall All those against him will fall For our God is stronger He can do all things No higher name we can call For Jesus is greater We can do
let's pray. Let's close our eyes again just briefly for a second. If you're here this morning and you want to say, Lord, I feel the finger of accusation pointing at me this morning. Lord, I'm under the condemnation this morning. I feel the accusing work of the enemy at work in my life, Lord. And I want to pray that you would give me the strength and the faith to be protected under your mighty power. Give me the faith to be protected under your mighty power. If you're under that accusation this morning, will you raise your hand? I see your hands. Okay, well, praise God. We're going to pray. Father in heaven, I ask you, for all those, my brothers and sisters, who've just raised their hands, Lord, who are under the accusation of the enemy, Lord, in what area, whatever area of their lives it is, Lord, I pray that accusation would be rooted out I pray my brothers and sisters, Lord, would know your strength at work in their lives, protecting them when they get up in the morning, when they lie down at night, Lord. I pray that they would know your presence going ahead of them, Lord, in every situation, Lord. I pray that they would be confident, confident in the power of God to deliver them and to rescue them and to protect them from the accusing tongue of the enemy. Lord, bless and be with my brothers and sisters, Lord. Lord, that they would not fail the test. That they would not fail the test. The psalmist, Sam, David wrote in Psalm 31, You hide your people in the shelter of your presence, safe from those who conspire against them. You shelter them in your presence, far from accusing tongues. Protect my brothers and sisters, Lord, I pray, from the accusing tongues. For the rest of us, let's pray this morning that we would know God's authority, God's court, God's opinion being the opinion that matters in our lives and not succumb to the whispers and the lies of the enemy. If you want to pray that prayer, will you raise your hands? We're going to offer it up as this prayer and as our closing prayer this morning. I invite you to raise your hands. We're going to close in prayer. Father in heaven, I pray as we go out of this place this morning. Lord, that whatever court we appeal to, we would accept the judgment of God's court. Who will bring any charge against those whom God has made right for himself? Lord, I pray that as we go, we would remember that no one can condemn us. Because Jesus has died for us, would anyone say amen? Jesus has been raised for us, would anyone say amen? And that Jesus sits at God's right hand pleading for us, Lord. May we accept your judgment, know your power in our lives today and tomorrow, in this coming week. And Lord, dare I say, all the days of our lives, in Jesus' name and God's people said, amen. amen. Praise God, praise God. We're done, brothers and sisters. The guys are going to play the song. Tea and coffee's being served upstairs in the atrium. God bless and keep him. We'll see you again on Tuesday night and next Sunday morning. The guys are going to play us out. God bless and keep you.